Welcome to the Bridge to God's Word podcast with Carla Unseth, a linguistic consultant for missionaries working in Bible translation. We invite you to visit us at www.bridgetogodsword.org to learn more about Carla's ministry. Now, here's linguistic consultant Carla Unseth. Hi, and welcome to Building a Bridge to God's Word. This is Carla Unseth. Well, right now we are in the middle of a podcast series that is a roadmap through the Bible. So we're looking at what the major themes of the Bible are and how does the whole Bible tell the story together. So one of the major themes that we've talked about is that the Bible is about God's glory and how God's glory is revealed by the restoration of humans into relationship with him. So what that means is God created the earth for his glory and he created humanity for the joy of being in relationship with them, but the relationship with God and humans was broken by sin. So the Bible tells the story of God's plan to restore that relationship. So we've looked at some things that humans have tried that haven't worked. For example, our own human effort, thinking kind of before the flood, through human government, look at the Tower of Babel, and even through a government and laws by God given through a human mediator, looking at Israel itself when they had God's law. And we thought for a little bit that maybe God's law mediated by a king would solve the problem, but we've seen that that didn't work either. So even though we've seen all these things that humans have tried, we've also seen little hints of God's plan, that he has a plan to solve this problem. Restoration will come through a seed, what's called a seed in the Bible. It's really one person who will come along and he will defeat sin and restore that relationship. God revealed that to Eve, that it was a seed or a son that would come through her line and then slowly revealed that it would come through Abraham, through Isaac and Jacob, and then Judah, one of Jacob's sons. He then showed that it would come through David. We thought that it would be David's son Solomon, but the downfall of Israel showed that it wasn't Solomon. So last time we discussed how the kingdom split, and what followed was this line of progressively more evil kings in both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. God continued to speak through that time and reveal his plan, and he did so through the prophets. So this week, I want to look a little bit more at the prophets and kings during that period, so you can get a feel for what's happening. I did consider looking at all the prophets, because they all say interesting things <laughs> from God, but I knew that we wouldn't be able to do them justice so if you're really interested in learning more about each individual prophet and each book that they wrote and how they fit into the storyline, I would really recommend watching the Bible Project videos. They do a great job of looking at each book of prophecy, looking at the major themes, and even exploring how that fits into the storyline of the Bible. So first, let's look at the kingdom of Israel. So as we said last week, Israel and Judah split in two. Israel was the northern kingdom that had 10 of the tribes, and the capital was Samaria. Israel had 19 kings following Solomon, and a grand total of zero of them followed the Lord and submitted to him. The most famous of those kings is King Ahab. You've probably heard of him. He married Queen Jezebel, 
And they not only instituted Baal worship in Israel, but they actively killed the prophets of God. So they were very evil. And God raised up a prophet during this time who you've probably heard of, and that is Elijah. And you might have also heard of Elijah's successor, which is Elisha. So something I think is really interesting about Elijah's ministry and Elisha's, they contrast with each other. Elijah's ministry really focused on the power of God in judgment. He called down fire from heaven onto an army. He pronounced a three-year drought on Israel. And of course, the story we all know, he defeated the prophets of Baal by calling down fire on, on the sacrifice. But contrasted to him, Elisha showed God's power through his mercy or his benevolence. He purified water. He healed Naaman of his leprosy. He predicts the lifting of a siege on Samaria. But what's sad is that neither the judgment that Elijah pronounced or the grace that Elisha pronounced changed the minds of the people of Israel. They continued to be evil. They continued to refuse to follow God. So another interesting thing is that it's during this time, kind of around the time of Ahab, that Jonah was a prophet. So of course we all know the story of Jonah, and Jonah was not a prophet to Israel. He was a prophet to Nineveh, and Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. So Assyria comes into play in a major way just 50 years after Jonah spoke. So Jonah went to Nineveh. He led the people there to repentance, but we're not exactly sure what happened. It kind of seems like their repentance was short-lived because it's the Assyrian army that eventually comes and destroys the kingdom of Israel. So the story of Israel's downfall is recorded in 2 Kings 17. The king of Assyria comes besieges Samaria, which is the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, for three years. And finally, after three years, Israel fell. So Assyria, their procedure for dealing with a captive nation when they took somebody over was to deport the people from that land and to resettle other people in the land. So this way, you didn't have a lot of nationalistic feeling, so people wouldn't rise up and revolt. So that is, so just 50 years after Jonah spoke, the nation of Israel, the 10 northern tribes, are basically wiped from history. We don't hear about them anymore in biblical history. So you might be wondering what that means for this promise. So if you'll remember, the promise was actually had been narrowed down to the tribe of David. And the tribe of David is part of Judah and Judah, along with Benjamin, was the southern kingdom. So just two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdom called Judah, and their capital was Jerusalem. So the southern kingdom is still intact. The southern kingdom had 20 kings, and a few, about eight, were good and attempted to follow God. And there were also prophets that spoke in the southern kingdom with important messages of repentance, so one of those prophets is Micah, and Micah is significant because he prophesied the place where the Messiah would be born. So the Messiah is this one, the seed that we've been waiting for, the one who's going to come and rescue Israel and 
even on a broader scale, restore humanity's relationship with God. So Micah was the one who predicted that this person would be born in the city of Bethlehem. It says in Micah 5, 2, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. So, interesting prophecy right here in the middle of all these kings who are more or less serving the Lord, that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Another significant prophet during this time was Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is one of the book of Isaiah is one of the most theological books of all the prophets. So that means that more than any other Old Testament prophets, his writings explain the plans of God on earth. So that's exactly what we've been talking about. What is God's plan for humanity? And you can really see it in Isaiah, especially the second half of the book from chapter 40 on, really foreshadows the New Testament. It begins in chapter 40 with a voice crying in the wilderness. And who do we know that that is? That is John the Baptist. And it ends in chapter 65 and 66 with a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. And of course, where do we see that again? We see that in Revelation. And in between those two chapters, we have chapters 52 and 53, where we read about the suffering servant. And those chapters really give us details about who the Messiah is, who, what he will be like, what his rule will be like. So it's really interesting to read Isaiah and see those themes brought out. And Isaiah has a lot of other themes, prophetic themes also. So it's definitely a book that is worth reading and worth reading with some kind of study helps, something that will help you to see those different themes so you can pick them up. So Isaiah prophesied throughout the lives of several kings, and one of them that I want to highlight to you is Hezekiah. Hezekiah's reign formed a pivotal moment in the history of Judah. He reigned during the time of the fall of Israel. So we just talked about that. Assyria came in, captured the northern tribes, and during that time, the southern kingdom of Judah was ruled by King Hezekiah. Now, he was a faithful king, and he sought to serve the Lord. And so when Assyria destroys Israel, it also comes to Judah and says, hey, we're going to destroy you too. But Hezekiah, instead of looking at military strength, he turned to the Lord for help. And God truly saved the kingdom of Judah from the Assyrians. But Hezekiah also made a strategic mistake. It kind of revealed his own pride. And again, is an indication that we need to choose the Lord every day, all the time, not just once. And so that was, there was a previous king before Hezekiah who had made an alliance with Babylon in order to be saved in, in some military conflict. And during the time of Hezekiah, they were still paying tribute to Babylon. So an envoy came from Babylon to Judah, and while they were there, King Hezekiah showed them all the treasures in the palace and in the temple of the Lord. And that was a strategic mistake and would eventually lead to the downfall of the kingdom of Judah. However, because of Hezekiah's faithfulness, it didn't happen in his lifetime. So he died a natural death. 
And the next king after him was Manasseh. Now, in contrast to Hezekiah, Manasseh was the most evil king in the history of Judah. His wickedness knew no bounds. He brought everything from witchcraft, Baal worship, child sacrifice into Judah. And because of his extreme wickedness, God pronounced on him irrevocable judgment. And Manasseh, another thing that he did was that he killed any prophet who spoke against him. And he was, in fact, the king who killed the prophet Isaiah. So Manasseh eventually died. And interestingly, he died a natural death. The punishment that God would bring on Judah didn't happen during his lifetime. His son became king. He was evil as well and actually ended up being murdered by his own household. So that's scary. <laughs> but that left his eight-year-old son, Josiah, on the throne. So amazingly, Josiah was a king that turned Judah back to the Lord. He rebuilt the temple. He led the people in national repentance and reform. And one thing I think is really interesting is that during Josiah's repairs of the temple, they discovered the books of the law. So by the time Josiah came around, they didn't even know anymore. They didn't even have the books of the law. They weren't reading them. They weren't following them. So it's just interesting to see how they have fallen so far from following the Lord that they don't even have the books of the law. That's the books of Moses. So who knows exactly how long that went on. But while jo Josiah was reforming Israel, the world was changing too. And Assyria's power was declining. And Egypt and Babylon started vying for political power. Aha, Babylon. Do you remember Hezekiah's mistake we just talked about? So I bet you can guess what will happen. <laughs> but we'll leave that for just a second and look at another prophet who talked during this time. And that was Jeremiah. So God revealed to Jeremiah that the sins of Judah, especially under Manasseh, were just too great. So despite Josiah's reforms, Judah would still be punished. So Jeremiah went out and proclaimed that to the people, but of course the people did not believe him. They thought, we have the Davidic covenant. God has promised us that there will always be a king on David's throne, and so we cannot be defeated. It's not possible. They didn't understand truly what that prophecy meant or what that promise from God meant. So they didn't listen to him. But what Jeremiah was, was saying was, you need to accept your punishment. You need to yield to Babylon, go there, live in captivity and in repentance before God. And, you know, we use this verse to encourage people, Jeremiah 29, 11, But it is specifically in a section of Jeremiah where he is writing a letter to the Israelites, telling them to submit to God's punishment. And why should they do that? Why should they submit to punishment? Because even though Judah was about to be destroyed, God had a plan, a plan for a future and a hope for the nation of Israel. And what was that hope? It was in the Messiah. The Messiah would come and save them. And Jeremiah chapter 30 through 33 goes on to detail this hope even more in depth that God has planned for Israel. He promises that he will never forget them and that he will restore them. And I really like this because 
knowing this context really makes Jeremiah 29 11 even more rich than it already is. And it's not saying that we won't go through hardship, but it is saying that we can trust God in the midst of hardship, that he still has a plan for us, even when things are difficult. So one thing you might be wondering at this point is, why is God still going to punish Judah after, Je- after Josiah's reforms? And the reason was, and God says this, that the sins of Manasseh and the other kings were just too great. So, so Judah was still going to be punished, but it wouldn't happen in Josiah's lifetime. So if we look back on the stage of the kings, of the political stage, what's going on? Well, after Josiah dies, there are a few more kings in Judah, but they really didn't have a lot of power. They actually ended up sort of being like a political football, being tossed back and forth between Babylon and Egypt as they fight for control. So in, I'll give you a couple dates here. In 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar is king of Babylon He finally invades Judah. Once again, they saw the treasures in the temple and the palace and they wanted them. They invade Judah and they deported Jews to Babylon. They took the best and the brightest young men. And of course, we know some of them. And one of them is Daniel. But after that, Judah, they leave the, they leave a king in Judah. And that king decides to align himself with Egypt. So once again, 597 BC, the Babylonians come back and recapture Jerusalem, deport more people from Judah into Babylon. So there's another king of Judah, but once again, they try to rebel and Babylon comes in in 586 BC, completely destroys Jerusalem and the temple and a third wave of Jews are deported to Babylon. So that's really the beginning of what's called the Babylonian exile. So that's what we're going to look at on our next podcast. We'll look at life in exile for the people of Judah. We'll talk a little bit about Daniel and other prophets that spoke during that time. But for today, it seems like a grim future for God's people. They're divided, conquered, deported. They're in exile. But I hope you've caught that through all of this, through the decline of the kingdom, there is this recurring message of hope and restoration. God continues to remind them of the covenant he made. There will be someone to come and rescue them. And not only them, but also the whole world from the true problem, which is the problem of sin. So we will talk a little bit more about that next time. So thank you for joining us, and I hope you will join us again next time for Building a Bridge to God's Word.